Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Daily Digest from Football Digest. I'm Ned Keating and joining me this morning are Sam Mead and Jack Staplehurst as we look ahead to what could be a pivotal weekend uh, for the Premier League season as clubs have the clock ticking down on them to finalise their squads before Monday's deadline day. Gentlemen, it looks like the transfer window is finally whirring into a bit of life. has been fairly quiet for, for most of January, but as we, as we get to the climax of it, it's really started to to kind of kick up a gear now with clubs looking at, at making big acquisitions that can really help drive them towards their goals and ambitions for the season. Uh, Sam, I'm going to come to you first this morning. The big news kind of overnight and, and into this morning has been that uh, Liverpool look very, very close to wrapping up a deal for Porto's Luis Diaz. Uh, this is a deal that we'd previously mentioned on this show a few weeks back for Liverpool. Um and it seemed to kind of go a little bit quiet from there. They were looking at him to, to possibly bring him in this window and maybe cover uh, the losses that they've experienced with Sadio Mane and, and Mohamed Salah, both at the Africa Cup of Nations. Then it seemed like they were going to wait until the summer to get this deal through. But with Spurs offering what can only be described as a Twix and half a packet of Monster Munch uh, for the uh, rather than closer to the fee that Porto were holding out for. Uh, it seems to force Liverpool's hand. They've come back in for him and it looks like they're going to wrap up a deal close to the £60 million mark. Yeah, I mean, it's good business. Like you say, I think I don't probably think they would have gone for it if Tottenham weren't, but there was probably that sense of they had to they had to act. And I also think there's probably that confidence in the club. I think a lot of clubs are reluctant to do January business just because you don't think the players are available or you'll have to pay a premium. But Liverpool of all the Premier League clubs, not just the top six, whether you look at, you know, Sturridge, Coutinho, onto Van Dijk, they generally do get it right. Um, so I think it's one of those where it's good business and it's at a good time for them in terms of you know, City dropping points last week, then getting the win 24 hours later. It's a really welcome boost as well if they are going to they are going to push for the title. Um, I mean, there's nothing really massive in the timing. I know Mane and Salah have been away, but they are closing in on coming back. Um, I think the more interesting thing long term is where does he play? I think that's the big question because um, we've seen like his best work has been as a winger. And when Jota came in, there was that sense of this unbreakable front three. I think, you know, if anyone was dispensable, as harsh as it sounds, it probably was for me now, just because the other two are just incredible. Um, and that has proved to be the case. And now I think Klopp is going to have a decision to make in terms of what he does going forward. And I'm, I'm sure Jack will touch on it, whether, you know, this Marnie hasn't been himself for like 18 months. He's picked up a bit this year. Obviously last year he, was, he dropped off a lot. And I think on the other side, the more alarming thing will be, are they getting Diaz in because they are starting to get slightly worried that Salah really could actually leave because it obviously be 12 months come the summer. So it's a great signing, but it, it almost poses as many questions as it does answers, which is quite interesting for us. Well, it sounds like you're suggesting that Liverpool are, are the masters of good forward planning there. Um, Jack, as, as we have touched on though, he does add some, perhaps a much needed quality in the depth that Liverpool have in those attacking options. Yes, they've got Salah. Yes, they've got Mane, who on his day... You know, as Sam touched on there, he hasn't been at those levels that we've seen in maybe the last couple of years, 18 months, whatever. Um, and Diogo Jota as well, that they are, you know, probably maybe the best front three in the Premier League. That's up for debate, but who knows? But behind that, Firmino has dropped off from the levels that he was at previously for Liverpool. And then there's no one really 
else to come in should they have, you know, an injury to, to Salah Romano. As I was seeing at this point, that obviously they're away with their their uh, their countries at the Africa Cup of Nations. So in the short term, Diaz is going to add that that depth in that Liverpool squad. But then also Sam says there, it might be the fact that there are a few jitters in the in the Liverpool boardroom about whether or not Mohamed Salah is going to whether or not they're going to be able to tie him down to a new contract and, and keep him at the club going forward. Mm. Well, I mean, there's a lot of issues going forward with their contracts. You've got Mane running out, you've got Salah running out. I think what they will end up doing, judging by the fact that Diaz primarily plays on the left as well for Porto, um, it seems like it would be some sort of straight swap for Mane. Uh, I think that he'll be the big name to go in a way. I think Firmino's already kind of sort of been obviously pushed out anyway with Yossa coming in the middle. Um, whether or not they'll eventually get a striker this summer or next summer, uh, we'll wait and see. That probably will be their next priority, you'd imagine. But Salah could, obviously can prove, has proven that he can carry on in that role for years to come, despite his age or anything like that. I think there's, it doesn't make any logical sense financially or any uh, for them to let him go. Um, with Diaz, yeah, I think that would be more or less a straight swap for Mane. Um they could probably get some decent cash for him in the summer. I, I wouldn't say it's a great forward planning, really. I think, yeah, like Sam said, they've been pushed into this by Spurs. Um, otherwise, they would have done it at the start of the window or at least at halfway through or something when they needed sign-ins in through the door because they were playing Minamino and Oxlade-Chamberlain in attack in the Carabao Cup semis and things like that. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think it proves that they sort of were pushed into it more or less, but it could work out in their favour anyway. It seems like a good deal. It depends on what the add-ons genuinely are because I think the initial price was 37.5. So it depends on what whether they match uh, the other add-ons going forward. But I think it's a good deal, yeah. Sam, there is a knock-on effect from this though as well that whilst we're saying that he might add a bit of depth in the, in the short term to Liverpool's attacking options that they do have players that are already there. But, but as Jack touched on, they're not, at that level that you'd expect at a club like Liverpool, you know, Takumi Minamino's struggled by and large since he came in a couple of years ago. I know it was a very cheap deal. Divock Origi, a cult legend, Liverpool fans love him, um, but he's never really established himself as a first team regular. Um, they're both names that are being linked with a move away. Uh, should be as, as we're expecting be signed, still delivered before Monday. So Origi and Minamino both expected to leave Liverpool uh, when Diaz does come through. And, and I suppose in a way though, it might, again, work out well for Liverpool. Origi's contract is up in the summer. There was talk about him potentially leaving on a free transfer. So if they can sell him this window and bring a bit of money in, that's more than they would have got for him in the summer. Um, and equally with Minamino, as I said there, 7.25 million was all the cost Liverpool back in, in 2020. I doubt that if Liverpool were to move him on, he's going to be going for as cheap as that again. So they might be able to have a, make a little bit of profit there on him too. Yeah, I mean, it's just sum up the Liverpool business model like in a couple of sentences. Um, I think I think one will go. I don't think both would go because I think if they were prepared to lose them both, they might have been a bit more willing to let one go already. And then it would have been a case of one in, one out with Diaz. So I could see one going. I'm not sure I could see them both going. Um, if they did, I think it would be more likely. I think, Arigi, like you say, with this contract situation, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Minamino, I think, would be potentially more of a loan. I think there have been there has been loan interest in him, and they have supposedly knocked those back. Um, and I think because, like you say, with the sort of the business model they've they've done in the past to sign him for as cheap as they did, if they hold out till the summer, which they can do because because of how long he's got on his contract, you know, they could probably make three times easily on how much they signed him for, which for them would be ideal. And then it also offsets 
how much they've spent on Diaz um, when you consider FFP and all that sort of jazz. Uh, so I could see one of them leaving this window. And then I think long-term, yeah, I don't think Minamino has a long-term future at Anfield. Um, but I don't think he'll leave permanently in the next couple of days. Jack, as we've touched on, uh, Liverpool have been almost forced into this move because of uh, Tottenham's interest in, in Luis Diaz. Um, but it's been a, a bad couple of days for, for Spurs when it comes to transfers. Obviously missing out on, on Luis Diaz, who was a player that they really kind of wanted. Adama Traore is another player that they've missed out and they were looking to play him at right wing back, but he's going off to Barcelona to play in his favourite wing position instead. Uh, Penny, for the thoughts then of Antonio Conte this morning, you know, he, he said regularly before the window opened and in the first couple of weeks of the window that we need players, I'm having conversations with the board and I'm talking to them and, and they know what we need. We're now, you know, a few days out from, from deadline day. Spurs still have no fresh blood through the door. It's been a very quiet month for them so far. They've been linked with all these players, but they've not been able to make anything stick. And I just wonder how uh, Conte's mood is this morning as, as the clock continues to tick down towards deadline day. Mm. I better not smile too much about Tottenham being in turmoil. But um, yeah, the uh, the Luis Diaz one just sort of sums up the whole situation, doesn't it? They t- Conte targets his man. It goes to Levy and sort of tells him who he wants. And yet again, they don't deliver. Um, the Adama Traore one, I think would have been a strange one, really. I don't think he's that suited to a right wing back role anyway. Um, so that might be one that they, they sort of potentially get away with anyway um i mean the fact that barcelona came in so late again was a strange one with the loan offer um but yeah i mean they're really testing their luck with conte like uh, it, it could be a case that, that he is the sort of firehouse man that could easily just walk away from this whole situation like he, he isn't one that's going to sort of just run down his contracts or sort of think oh okay i'll sort of play out this project and we'll, we'll go again in a few years time if if he's not happy he will go um, and it could even be like before the end of the season if if nothing happens before deadline day. Um, I think Spurs desperately need some sort of like attacking cover. Uh, they really look sort of a bit short of any sort of options up top. Um, Kane's kind of getting back into some sort of form, but again, he, he still wants out, doesn't he? Um, it, it's tough. Um, I think that Diaz one was a bit strange in the sense that he was supposedly going to come in and play the similar role to Son anyway, uh, who's since signed a new contract anyway. So that would have been a bit unusual for them to be fine for a place when they've got so many other positions that need sorting out, especially in defence as well. They're an absolute shambles at the back. Um, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll wait and see. I, th- I think Conte is going to be furious with this one though. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll admit with my Spurs hat, when truly on, I found Diaz uh, particularly amusing not not that he's not a talented player but more in the fact that you know we've got Lucas Moore up there we've got as you said human song when he's back for, from injury up there and then Stephen Bergvine looks to be uh, returning to some sort of form too so it would have been a strange one to spend 60 mil on there when we've got gaping holes in squad depth elsewhere um Sam though one bit of good news for for Tottenham I suppose is that it looks like they might be able to shift Tongi and Domblay on loan this month a player that's not really been favoured by any of the managers, unfortunately, since he's come in. Again, a player that no doubt about the ability and the quality that he has, but just hasn't really suited the Premier League at all, I think, with what he he offers and the way that he wants to play and how managers want to play him. Um, and it looks like he's going to join PSG on loan as opposed to Spurs. Uh, if, if they can somehow get some deals over the line, I don't know, but at least it frees up some wages for them. Yeah, I mean, that is literally the only silver lining, isn't it? Like, you spend a club of coffee on a midfielder who did look pretty impressive when he was at 
when he was at, when he was in France. Um, and then you loan him out. And I think they'll struggle to recoup that money when they eventually do look to move him on because he doesn't look to have a future. I mean, we're on manager 3.5, if you want to count Ryan Mason, um, who signed him. And I think it just goes to show this whole, you take it back to the to Conte and who's doing the recruitment. And if you actually look at that summer, that post-Champions League summer in 2019, when Pochettino wanted Cesson Young, Celso, Ndombele, you might have wanted, I think we've got Jack Clark from Leeds. None of those have worked out. And I think Levy potentially sort of said to Pochettino, okay, like, you know, whatever you want, you know, we'll play it your way for a little bit. And it's just gone horrifically. And I think that's probably why you can almost see that in this Diaz deal. I think if Levy had thought, yeah, Diaz is the one, doesn't matter who our manager is, he'll be a good player. He would move heaven and earth to get him because, you know, we can't deny he is a good negotiator. He might be a bit tight on the purse strings, but he knows how to negotiate a deal. Um, and this Ndombele one seems to just sum up the last sort of two or three years. And it's thing is, I mean, I've spoken to Spurs fans who were almost loath to let him go because you just know there's a player there. Um, and, you know, no one will be surprised if he goes away to PSG and is, you know, getting man of the match in Champions League semi-final later this season. I wouldn't be surprised because, you know, there was that period under Mourinho where he looked like he might be about to get something out of him and he looked a really top player. And then suddenly we've just dipped again. And I don't think Tottenham have really got any option but to let him go in the sense that Conte doesn't fancy him. And as Jack said, you know, they've got to play the game with Conte, otherwise he will just walk. So for Conte to say, I don't want him, if Levy was to turn around and be like, well, I spent a lot of money on him, so he's staying. I mean... Things aren't great at the moment anyway, and I think that would just be horrific for Tottenham politics. So they haven't really got any choice but to let them go. But it's, I almost feel like it's through gritted teeth because they were determined to make that move work. Um, but they've packed themselves into a corner already. So, yeah, I suppose they've got the wages free. But I'm not sure that's going to do them any good. Uh, moving on to Newcastle and their chaps. Um, again, they, they seem to be kind of really kicking into life to, uh, as the window ticks down towards its deadline day. Um, the only two signers that they've got so far, Kieran Trippier and Chris Wood, but it looks like they're going to be adding uh, a midfielder to their ranks very swiftly. Bruno Grimaresh from Lyon. Um, Jack, he's a, he's a player that we've heard a lot about in the past, was previously linked with Arsenal um, over multiple transfer windows, I think for about 18 months he was linked with a, with a move to Arsenal. But one never really materialised. Instead, he looks like he's going uh, to Newcastle, a, a regular in the Brazil squad. He's out there with them at the moment. Is this the start of the statement of intent signings that we were perhaps expecting when Newcastle were brought out by the, uh, by the Saudi Arabians last year? Yeah, definitely. And I think given the way that the window's gone so far for Newcastle as well, it's one that's kind of, come as a surprise in a way like everything else seems to have collapsed that was um nothing to do with a Burnley player or a formerly Burnley player um so yeah uh, they've, they've done well to get this one over the line by the looks of it it's, it's close anyway um Leon was sort of playing games on, on social media and stuff and with their statement and that the other day but I think that's just them trying to sort of wiggle a few more extra million out of it um, yeah, that would be an amazing signing, to be fair to them. Um, I think that would probably be enough to keep them up alone, to be fair. They'll, um, they'll have, they've got Sat Maxman there as well. Obviously, Callum Wilson's out for a little while yet, but they'll have enough firepower, I think, with, if you add Gomeras to the to the array of the, what they've got going forward, um, just to sort of push them ahead of Watford, Norwich, and um, Burnley, as obviously, as well. Um, all, it, all it is this season now is just to come 17th for Newcastle they haven't got to worry about any more than that and then go again in the summer but um, 
yeah, especially after Diego Carlos fell through um, with Seville, like it's sort of starting to hint that maybe clubs just didn't want to do business with Newcastle. Um, but obviously, sort of the French market, there's there's clubs that are financially restricted, um, which is where a lot of sort of mid-table Premier League teams are sort of looking at at the moment. Um, obviously, it's still quite a bit of money in terms of like £40 million, but um, it genuinely looks like a good bit of business, to be fair. Sam, is it slightly concerning that given the fee and how relatively low it is for a player of his quality that Arsenal didn't necessarily come back in for him? They themselves are looking for a new midfielder. We'll come on to that a little bit later on. But they weren't really seen as, as being too keen. They haven't made the first move. They didn't really submit a bid. And yet here in Newcastle, £40 million pounds in this, or €40 million, Euros, sorry, in this current market, relatively cheap for a player of his quality. So should Newcastle be slightly worried that Arsenal's interest called that there might be something that they're perhaps missing there or should they just be happy with the player that they've got knowing that they've got a talented player who as Jack said there could be enough to keep them up uh, I mean I personally don't think I certainly don't think Arsenal this month are the barometer for whether or not you've done good business um, um, I think it's one of those where Arsenal probably could have gone if they wanted to but I, just, I think they've got other priorities and I also think ultimately if Newcastle go for a player that Arsenal say they did deem him slightly subpar if Newcastle go for a player like that, like Newcastle and Arsenal are got not going for the same pool of players. So a player who might not be quite the standard for Arsenal at the moment is going to be realistically good enough for a team fighting relegation. So I think in terms of that, they've they've done well. And I think they were probably, you know, more willing to smash the cash than Arsenal. Arsenal's priority, for, I mean, we'll get onto it, but it's clearly a striker. So I don't think there was, you know, I think their interest was probably lukewarm as opposed to Newcastle's, which was, we need to get this deal done. And as Jack says, I think it adds... You know, a bit of a bit of quality to their forward line. You know, player for player of that sort of bottom four, we I think it can be three from four who go down. Player for player, they have got the best team, um, and they've added to that. You know, some of those players from their uh, relegation rivals and Chris Wood. So I don't think they should be concerned personally. Like at the end of the day, Lyon are a, a top side in in France. Um, you know, they've had a lot of players come over here and, and be and be successes. So no, I think good deal. So fair play to them. Jack, just finally on Newcastle. Um, they were linked, as you said there earlier on, quite heavily with Diego Carlos. That move has, has now fallen through. Probably unlikely that it gets resurrected before Monday, but you never know in this window. You know, <laughs> never say never in a transfer window. Um, but on that front, is the absolute top priority now for Newcastle to go out and get a, a top quality centre-back? I know Dan Byrne's been linked with a move um, to to Newcastle from Brighton. So is that where they need to be shopping next that, you know, forget about, you know, if they need a right back or a wing or whatever else or any other glamorous signings, a centre back is the only thing that's going to cut it for Newcastle between now and Monday. Yeah, I mean it makes sense why they would be targeting the Brighton players as well. You had Adam Webster as well that they uh, made a move for as well as um you know Dan Byrne as well. Um it makes sense, yeah, they're Premier League proven. They obviously sort of they're very, very organized under Graham Potter as well. Um whether or not they'd even want to go at this point is is a big question. I think that's what a lot of clubs are sort of missing the trick with in this window is just targeting the teams where they've got really little to play for in the second half of the season. If there's a team that's going for European football or they've got an incentive or they need to stay up or they've actually got financial backing themselves. And they're not, they're not going to do business in January. That's how it works. Uh, they're going to wait until the summer. So, yeah, I mean, Brighton, you could argue European football is probably beyond them this season. They just seem to keep dropping points, just draws a lot of the time. Um, so may, maybe they are willing to sort of offload one or two of their um, first 11 players. But, um, yeah, I think that, that that's the way that 
Eddie Howe needs to go about it just to ensure that they have that stability in the second half of the season and get some crucial points on the board. Um, but yeah, Diego Carlos, that, that could be one that they revisit in the summer, potentially, depending on what happens over the next six months. Sticking with defenders, Sam, uh, Callum Chambers has left Arsenal to join Aston Villa. Uh, and much like we said earlier about Divock Origi, um, if Liverpool were to get money for him, it would be a deal that makes sense. Callum Chambers out of contract in the summer. Arsenal have got, I think, what is it, two million for him. So for a player that probably would have left for free in the summer, they've now got a bit of money in for, which is good. But then you look at the squad and Arsenal's squad, I was looking at it before we came live. It's worryingly thin for a Premier League club at the best of times. And it is drastically thin for a club that you'd expect to be uh, that, that are in the so-called big six and, and especially with Chambers leaving now and the problems that they've had recently in defence you could cover both right back and centre back that leaves Arsenal a little bit short in defence yeah just a bit I mean all window whether you look at you know it also makes the I know he wouldn't play centre half but they obviously let Maitland-Niles go out on loan and it seems it seems like every deal with Arsenal this month has been in isolation like here's a player here's a situation would you accept the offer and yeah the chambers it makes sense but like when you look at the overall picture of we're fighting for x y and z and this is our squad it doesn't really make sense so i don't think they've really applied the brilliant logic to their to their january business uh, and it does leave them massively short they are gambling on white and um gabriel saying fit and you only have to look at their stats together are generally quite good um However, their stats when one of them is injured, especially when Gabriel is out and White is on his own with a partner, it's horrific. I actually don't think White has won a game without Gabriel next to him. I might be wrong on that. Um, so, yeah, it's a strange move in that sense, unless they have got confidence behind the scenes that someone really is coming in. I was going to say, Jay, I mean, does that add now to Arsenal's shopping list for Monday that maybe it's not even just one player that they need, but perhaps now they need uh, cover at right back because Tommy Yasu... Uh, has been a little bit injured and then it's only Cedric I think there maybe they can cover there I don't know but centre-back at least it's only Rob Holding who can fill in there otherwise you join Tommy Asu in from right back or you join Tierney in from left back and then again you're you're left exposed with your depth on the flanks so as well as needing a striker as well as chasing a central midfielder do Arsenal now have to add centre-back to that shopping list as well before Monday I think they have to um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a player that's like a first 11 material again like Chambers wasn't exactly um, first eleven either, obviously, but you need some sort of cover just in case. Like anything could happen. Look, look at West Ham earlier this season; they lost Zuma and Ogbonna in the same week, practically. To um, and Ogbonna was out for the season. Zuma was sort of reported it well months as well. So there's there's nothing that really that they can sort of justify. The only way I can kind of assume that what they're thinking behind it is is just to get them off the books now, obviously, so, to get that extra bit of cash in. And the fact that they're not in any extra competitions or anything, they've obviously got dumped out of the FA Cup by Nottingham Forest. Um, they've got no European football to worry about for a change. Um, League Cup's now gone, obviously, as well. So it's just those Premier League games that they've got in hand, and then they go from there. I think Arsenal would play in something silly like two games in the next six weeks anyway. So <laughs> as long as they can get their, all their players back fit, they should be okay. But I mean, again, it's all very unpredictable this season. You assume in a way that COVID is not necessarily going to play as big a part um, going forward. Um, and they've obviously changed the rules this week as well in terms of uh, cancelling games and postponements and everything. Um, but yeah, it is, it's a big gamble by Arteta and I'm not sure he'd have been too happy with being left with so little at the back. Sam, what's gone wrong for Arsenal this month? You know, they, they seemed 
to think that they were in pole position to sign Dusan Vlahovic, but it now looks like they were just used as a pawn in the game of chess between Juventus and Fiorentina. Central midfield was a, 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 a position that we all knew that they needed to strengthen given uh, you know players going off to, to the Africa Cup of Nations and others leaving on loan this month and they never really they never really did before the you know early doors in the month and, and they kind of paid a little bit for that perhaps in the FA Cup and, and in the League Cup especially. Um Mikel Arteta was fairly bullish at the start of the month, you know, saying about how yeah, he seemed fairly confident with his transfer dealings that Arsenal get deals over the line that, you know, the world's best players would still come to the Emirates. They're still attracted to Arsenal. But as the moment's gone on, he, he seemed to become more and more deflated, I think is the best term in his press conferences when he is asked about transfers. You know, his, his most recent one, he was, he was really flat, I think, um, saying about how that this is the market that we're in. It's a very difficult market, which was a complete contrast to, as I said earlier, when he was confident that Arsenal could sign any player that they wanted. Well, What's really gone wrong for Arsenal this month? Well, I think two things. The one you've just touched on there is it's, it's probably something of a reality check. Like, ultimately, he has to say the right things in public. But if he genuinely thinks they can be in the market, the world's best player, he is living in dreamland. Like, Erling Haaland is not considering Arsenal as an option this summer. And there's a reason for that. Um, you know, they are in a rebuild phase massively. They have no European football. I mean, Europa League football is hardly you know, the most tempting thing for a top player, but at least it's something. And I think, you know, over the years... You know, like post-Fergie, Man United approved. They can still attract players without Champions League football. But Arsenal have not got that allure anymore. And I think that's a massive problem. Like if you were um, Blahovic, um and Juventus came knocking, how on earth would you choose Arsenal over them? Um, so they are backing themselves into a massive corner. And I think they just need to be a bit more genuine about where they can buy their players at the moment. Um, and then secondly, which is probably a bigger issue, like you said, you touched on there, like, you know, Mikel Arteta probably won't be over the moon about being left so short. Like, who is making the decisions at Arsenal? So you've got Edu, who's, you know, sort of his right-hand man, him, and then the club's board. I mean, I've read this week that they're obviously in for Arthur as they look for a central midfielder. And Edu had almost got this deal over the line. And then the Gunners board, like, intervened and vetoed the signing. So you've seemingly got three parties trying to sign players. I mean, it's hard enough to get a sporting director and a manager, as Everton prove, on the same page. And you're now trying to get three parties on the same page to make signings. Like, if that is your business model, you're going to get no deals over the line, as they're proving. So I think they probably need to take a look at their structure. Who's making the decisions? Who's signing them off? And what can we do based on that? Because it's a mess. Jack, we're still expecting one or two outgoings as well at Arsenal just to, to shrink that squad further. But one player that they've been keen to move on that they haven't been able to get rid of uh, is at the minute anyway is Pierre Emerick Aubameyang uh, the, the captain who's been dropped stripped to the captaincy considered you know completely out of favour under Mikel Arteta not for the first time that he's done this with a player obviously you know similar treatment for Mesut Ozil this time last year um, let's go let's say we get to Tuesday Arsenal are still without a striker Aubameyang hasn't moved on does Mikel Arteta need to swallow his pride and and potentially reintegrate him back into the squad, get him back in the side, because obviously his quality is still there. You know, we still know he's a good striker. I know he's not done it since he signed that new contract, unfortunately, but he's still a, a good striker on his day. But then on the flip side of that, were Arteta to try to integrate him back in, would uh, Bamiyang actually want to play for him anymore? Mm, yeah, it's, it seems like Groundhog Day, doesn't it, Arsenal? There's always one player that doesn't want to be there, at least. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't be leaving someone that's on 300k a week, uh, rotting in the reserves for the next six months. Um, it sums it up, really, the fact that they haven't managed to move him on. I don't know what's worse, their business going in or going out 
given that. Um, as long as he can play right back, I suppose you might as well stick in there. He's got a bit of pace. Um, in a way, though, yeah, I, I think you would eventually. You've got time at least to integrate him. Um, he's obviously sort of come back from the African Cup of Nations. Um, build those bridges back up. Uh, you've got time away from the fans as well. Obviously, no games for the time being. Just try and sort of get it back within within the camp at least, like when training and stuff. Try and sort of work it out what's going on behind the scenes, and then. I think you'd probably have to sort of stick him on the bench at least. There probably isn't enough players for Arsenal to go on the bench at this rate. The amount of times they keep putting them um, youngsters on there now, uh, especially as they're being forced to. Obviously, they can't cancel any more matches for one COVID case like they did against Spurs. Um, so yeah, we'll wait and see. But I think I think Aubameyang has to be on the bench at least. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't whack him straight back in the first eleven or anything like that. They, they've more or less proven while he's been gone that they they can cope. Um, a lot of the time as well like, um, even Smith Rowe can't even sort of get in the first 11 of late so and I definitely prioritise him in the attacking sort of four uh, over Aubameyang for the time being so yeah I, th- I think that's probably the best bet really Chaps just to finish up this morning uh, obviously with deadline day looming on Monday just wanted to get your thoughts on who you think would either be a deal that would be one to watch on Monday or the club that you expect to be extremely busy can can be the player, can be the club. Not really fast here, uh, but Sam, I'm going to come to you first. What what should we be looking out for on Monday? Uh, I would expect Watford to actually do some business. Um, having just sacked Ranieri, they've got Hodgson in, who for the situation they're in is perfect. So I'm not surprised they've gone for that. He's a pragmatic manager, but he is dealing with a squad. I mean, if you put that squad up and put up who they were signed by, I mean, I do not know how many managers' names would come up. Um, given the business model they have at Vicarage Road. Um, and he is he knows the league well. I imagine they won't be, you know, they've they've gone abroad for a lot of their signings, Watford, and some of those have worked wonders and some of them have just been flops and moved on. Hodgson, I think, will take a very much more, he'll go trial and tested. Uh, I think it'll be players six months left on their contracts or maybe not getting a game that he knows will do a job for him for six months. You know, if I was going to Vicarage Road, I wouldn't expect champagne football for the next six months. It'll be very pragmatic. Um and I think they've, if they get some players through the door with Hodgson there, they have actually got a good chance of staying up. But it very much depends on how busy they're prepared to be in the next few days. But I would expect if Hodgson was making the calls, they would they would do a bit of business. Uh, and Jack, the, the same question to you. What's going to be keeping us uh, enthralled come Monday? Well, I think we've already touched, obviously, on Newcastle and Arsenal. I think they're going to have to be involved one way or another. Um I mean, for the life of me, I'm desperate for West Ham to make some signings. Jeez. Um, yeah, we're still, nothing seems that close. Um, desperately need a centre-back, desperately need a striker. Um, the fact that they're still plugging this sort of dead horse about the fact that they, you can't get a striker in January. Uh, we've, we've been with Antonio now for practically like 12 months. We let, we let Haller go, who's obviously gone on to break Champions League records since then. So, um, yeah, just proves that... Um, any striker that comes to West Ham is pretty much cursed. Um, yeah, I, I think they need to sort of make a move sooner or later, but I, I just can't see it really happening. Moyes is very uh, touchy about which players he goes for. He, he dawdles a lot. Um, if it's not the player that he wants, which at West Ham, who aren't necessarily going to splash the cash too much, um, it's probably not going to be the one that he wants. Um, he might have to sort of work down his target list 
and we're running out of time. There's literally three days left. Um, so yeah, we'll wait and see. But I don't think West Ham fans will be very happy about that, given that there's so much to play for. They've got Europe, European football in the second half of the season to come back to in March. Um, still in the FA Cup and playing Kidderminster next. So you'd assume they'd be through to the F, uh, fifth round of that. Premier League games, obviously, to come. Um, their, their squad's going to be stretched if they get nobody through the door, but we'll wait and see. Sam, Jack, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time as ever. Uh, as always, you can keep across the latest transfer news on the Mirror, the Star and the Express websites, uh, as well as all of Reach's regional titles. But for now, it's goodbye.